Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes, and today's guest is Michelle Kelly, the CEO of Lily Pulitzer. In this episode, Michelle discussed shifting to a capsule approach in product design, using data to identify customer shopping trends, and how influencer marketing fits into the brand's long-term strategy. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Hillary. Welcome. So you've been, your CEO now, and you've been at the brand for how many years? I have been with Lily Pulitzer for 14 years. So tell us about when you started at the brand. What was it like? Set the scene a little bit. So that was in 2004, mid-2000s. Yes. So what was your position at the time when you started? So I was really, I joined the company because I was into the brand and into the idea. And I really uh, enjoyed the people who owned the company at the time and and the people who I had met through through getting to know people at the brand. So it was really a you know, kind of a passion moment where I just jumped into this this brand that I was into, and I asked uh, my mentors at the time, "What is the best way to learn the fashion business, learn the apparel business?" And they said sales. Mm. So I said, "I would like to interview for a position in sales." Then, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, that's essentially how it happened. And it really was a terrific way to learn the business. Um, I think in hindsight, there are many different ways to learn the business, but sales was great for me. I really got to know, you know, tremendous people who are, you know, now doing great things in the industry who were my buyers then, and um, really was a tremendous way to learn that the customers uh, are in charge, and um, it is our job to delight them and to serve their their the needs that they do articulate, but more importantly, the needs that they haven't articulated yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that has only become more true over Absolutely. time. The customers are in charge. They're more influential in in business strategies for especially fashion brands are so personal to customers today. Um, and so, but, but back then, I think, you know, we hadn't really started talking about direct-to-consumer brands before. And so how much of the business was wholesale versus direct? And, and has that been shifting over time um, as you've sort of moved up in the company? Yes. Great question. So uh, as you had said, it was 2004 when I joined the company. We were 100% wholesale. Oh, wow. And we really, the biggest difference was at the time, our the way we were selling the product, the way we were distributing our, our brand had so much to do with of course, connecting our customers with products, but also it was our marketing as well. So mm-hmm. there was really no better advertising at the time than being on a you know center pad at the top of the escalator of one of the, the fabulous department stores. Right. So I think that has been, of course, one of the biggest changes over the, the 14 years that I have been with the brand, that um, th- those two things have gotten have just gotten decoupled. So we still mm-hmm. have to have great marketing, and there are many ways that wholesale partners can be a part of that marketing. Um, but we can't kind of count on our distribution to be the marketing as well, of course. Right. So so how has that played out in terms of, of distribution and marketing for the brand? Um, there's e-commerce now. Yes. Um, have you opened stores as well? We have. We have uh, just over 60 stores. So our oh, wow. total business, we are now about 30% wholesale, 70% direct to consumer. Oh, that's incredible. So that's been the shift, really. So that's that's like what brands are, are trying to go for, is, is sort of flipping that paradigm. We talk to a lot of fashion brands that are 80% wholesale, 20% direct, and they're trying to do 
that opposite. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they want they want the majority of sales to be direct. So how did you like? I'm sure it was more involved than just open the stores and people start shopping there. <laughs> it was. Oh, it was much more involved. Yes, we made a lot of mistakes early on, and we learned a ton. I do think what uh, one thing that served us really well is we always took it one step at a time. We mm-hmm. never had this you know, bold moment of, you know, now we're going to go open 20 stores a year. That never has been a part of of how we operate. It's really not aligned with even our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't see that, you know, being a big part of things, of things going forward. But we've had a very steady, disciplined approach to retail expansion as well as our digital business and the growth there. So we always took it one step at a time. For example, we started off, you know, our very first transactional platform with e-commerce. It was a very um, you know, it wasn't customized at all. Mm-hmm. It was just really to get us up and running. But we learned so much from that experience. We did about three years on that platform, and then we felt really ready to kind of custom build mm-hmm. our own digital experience on a you know more sophisticated platform. So that vibe, that kind of you know approach and ethos, has really um, been a factor in our retail expansion as well. Mm-hmm. We have generally opened kind of between four and six stores a year. We have, I guess we had about, uh, we had 16 stores in 2010, so that was just eight years ago, and now we're over 60. Um, So we have had, you know, a pretty steady but relentless, you know, thoughtful expansion on Mm -hmm. retail. So how has that made it so, there's almost like a halo effect over the rest of the business, knowing so much more about your customer. I feel like, I feel like that's, we say that, but I'd love to just hear, like, what do you know that you didn't know before? I feel like we talk about customer data. It's like, what are those actual, what are you actually learning? Like what's under the hood there that you're able to make decisions differently and and sort of plan out the business in a way that 14 years ago you couldn't do in the same way? It's so different and it really is. It's phenomenal. And it did, again, it, it was, we took it one step at a time that really when we had once we had a direct channel, I mean, it sounds silly, but we just needed somewhere to put all of the information and, and all of mm-hmm. the data. So we, you know, step by step, we started capturing it. And, um, you know, our stores are such great, thriving community vibes. Uh, our stores have that vibe. So um, we we really, you know, felt like it was, you know, part of uh, the social atmosphere that you find in our stores to ask our customers for their names. I don't think it ever felt contrived or that we were focusing on capture rate or anything. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it happened pretty organically that we did build this great database of how we could could speak with our customer directly. And to answer your question about some of the specific metrics, I mean, we know, you know, when she comes in, our seasonality is is distinct for our brand. Um, everyone right now is gearing up for holiday mm-hmm. and you know we are thinking about spring and summer next year um, just because spring and summer are our seasons. So um, we you know really have gotten to know you know the seasonality is a big piece of knowing when she will come in. Uh, we know really some of the differences between um, how customers want to engage with the brand. Some mm-hmm. people love, you know, have an incredible story of what the brand means to them, and they come in every week, and it's for you know kind of that social experience. And then there are plenty of customers who come in because they know that this is, you know, a great brand for shopping for their vacation, and so they might only come in once a year. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make them any you know, less valuable of a customer. Um, but it is a really important insight to know that, you know, some customers are shopping for a vacation and some customers are really counting on us to provide that community vibe in our stores. Mm-hmm. So the combination. 
It's right. great. Right. So, and, and you know, I think it's a unique brand. The the customers are really passionate. I remember the the Target collaboration that yes. just went insane. <laughs> it was very exciting. How do you manage that that customer loyalty piece of it? Because like, you mentioned like all the all customers are valuable, but you have that really high touch, engaged customer. What what do you, how do you, what do you do to make sure that they're you? That you keep them that way, and and that it's sort of then passing on, and has the the word of mouth effect, and all of that good stuff that comes with customer loyalty. It is something we think about all the time. We're so grateful for our most loyal customers, mm-hmm. and you know they do a lot of the work for us. I'm you know always just so grateful and humbled and floored when I see a customer or you know someone on social media going out to defend the brand for example <laughs> and you know explain something about our brand to another you know to the rest of our social media audience they sometimes you know do that word of mouth for us which is so wonderful uh, I do think you know, I'm proud of the way that our team really listens to the customer and I think um, joins in the conversation we don't um, believe that you know it's one way by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, we really have a great community that we're building digitally, and we actually have some great examples of our kind of digital, our most loyal customers, and even audience. They might not be our most loyal customers, but they're very passionate. You know, part of our audience on social media. Um, we have actually had some great examples of. Uh, some some of the digital communities getting together and creating, you know, wanting to meet each other physically. And those events and moments have been really fantastic parties. And so did the brand get involved in those? Or we did. Were- yes. One of my favorite examples, really stories of this year was um, – was the pink retreat, and it was exactly as as I had described. The you know there was a group of um, Lily lovers on social media who had had gotten together, and there was one woman in particular who organized it, and said you know let's all go to Palm Beach, let's celebrate Lily, let's meet each other. We all see each other on Instagram, but let's actually get to know each other. So we actually it was pretty well planned by the time we heard about it, mm-hmm. um, and we were thrilled to get involved. So I went down there, and it was really special. I got to meet people who I had seen on Instagram as well. And, you know, we all had a margarita and toasted the brand, toasted uh, our love for Lily and had some fun. Wow. So whenever there's such a passionate customer base like that, that they're literally planning events around the brand, uh, how do you plan how does the product then follow that customer? Because I'm sure it's it's different because it's not like you have designers rotating in and out and that changes the look and it's following trends. Obviously, it's seasonal, but you know a Lily Pulitzer piece when you see it. And so it's always had that um, sort of very distinct look and feel. So how do you keep it fresh while keeping paying attention to what these customers want while still inviting new customers in? How has the, just the product design evolved? That is that's such a great question. It's what we spend so much so much of our time trying to figure out how, how exactly to navigate and to manage. The first thing I would say is that we are very much guided by our, our heritage and what makes the brand iconic. We think often about what were the elements that made the brand and the style and the fashion take off back in the 1960s and what are the real fundamentals of those elements that still apply today. So, you know, example that, that's pretty current, we always remember that, um, you know, Lily was good friends with Jackie Kennedy and in, you know, 1962, I believe, she was photographed on the cover of Life magazine sitting just wearing a Lily, very relaxed and calm. And that was definitely a part of why, you know, how the brand took off in the 60s. 
what's the version of that today? It's probably influencer marketing mm-hmm. and even the, the name influencer marketing. It really is. You know, Jackie, Jackie was an influencer back then mm-hmm. and the influencers have changed, but we all still need a great, you know, recommendation from someone who uh, you know, who we, who we believe in and believe in their sense of style. So that's one example of how we really try to think about what made the brand magical back then and how do we translate that into a modern version today? Because we really do believe that staying modern is what it's all about. No one really wants to look backward all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a piece of it. The other thing I would say is we are always trying to understand what our customers' needs are so that we can meet them, not Oh, it's not always what they will articulate, but um, you know, if we can really understand who they are, what drives them, what's important to them, why they like some of the products we've done in the past, then we can create a new version of that. We have an incredibly creative design team. Our print design team is uh, really just one of a kind. They are artists, true and true, and we are you know, one of the very few fashion companies that has our own team of in-house print designers, as well as an amazing team of fashion designers. Mm-hmm. How do you add newness throughout the year? How often are, are those teams going to work? Uh, you mentioned people are in the stores quite often, so I imagine yes. you want something new there. Constantly. We actually just transitioned to what we're calling the capsule approach, uh-huh. and um, it is really inspired by our taking you know, a week at a time. I think people's social needs and what they're in the mood for can really change on a week-to-week basis, especially these days when we're all more, I think, just in tune with, with what is happening and, and what's going on and what the exact right thing to wear is for each moment. So mm-hmm. for us, you can imagine with our seasonality, the you know last week of March versus the first week of May, have they have just slightly different vibes. And if a brand isn't necessarily focused on, um, you know, the resort or market, they might not see those different, you know, special nuances, but Mm -hmm. we do. And, you know, the styles get a little bit, you know, less covered up just in that month when things are warming up. So we really, um, we're now focused on trying to deliver uh, fewer, more special products more frequently. Mm-hmm. How does that does that put any strain on the brand to to keep up? I imagine it can feel almost like an endless churn. And and you know, hear designers in fashion at large kind of talking about this endless cycle and and no time to sort of sit back and think about the resonance of something that they might release. How do you make? How did you sort of a- arrange the teams and? put it on a schedule where it was it, it just made sense to fit that way but didn't like you know hold bring the whole team down it's definitely something we work on we you know have a very tightly uh, you know orchestrated calendar mm-hmm. and uh, we actually get a lot of input from our team the most senior folks in the company are always you know kind of recapping and wondering you know looking at how this last you know step in the process went and you know is the capsule approach really delighting our customers or is it just creating more work mm-hmm. um, so we are pretty conscious of that but I think there's such a passion among our team members that you know we all really do jump out of bed in the morning ready to you know get to work and and think about what will delight this customer we definitely you know, we'll we'll take a moment if we ever feel like we're doing work for the sake of work mm-hmm. and just pause. I'm really proud of our culture that I think anyone has the ability to kind of raise their hand and say, 
wait, why are we doing this? Will it delight and serve our customer better, or does it just make us feel better about something? Right. And and how do you think that? Do you see any sort of slowdown coming in fashion, or, or like I feel like, is it a like the pace can keep getting faster and faster? You mentioned it's already like down to the weekly basis. Where do you see that trend going? I, obviously, it's driven by social media and like just the fact that we're all seeing each other way more than we did before. Right. So, do you see any sort of like breaks being pushed on that? I don't think that it's I think what we're seeing and what certainly what we're trying to do is um, we're trying to, you know, work smarter while we're trying to work faster. It's mm-hmm. actually one of you know a phrase that we say around the company often is how do we work smarter, not harder? We know that there is, you know, not an unlimited you know, amount of energy and, you know, certainly resources. Um, and we are a creative design led business. So if, if people aren't, you know, getting their chance to step back and, you know, be out in the market and shop and see customers, then, you know, all the work isn't, you know, won't, won't do what we need it to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know that I see a, a change in how customers are, um, you know, needing the frequency and, and needing to be entertained a mm-hmm. bit. I think that has really been on a pretty, steady continuum, mm-hmm. you know, as long as I've been in the industry, that it, that it could keep getting faster. Um, but I do think companies, and certainly we're trying to be one of them, uh, are figuring out ways to work smarter. And um, as I had mentioned, you know, we're not doing the same volume of product every single week. We're really doing the same number of styles, but just delivering it differently. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and let's talk about influencer marketing. You mentioned it as part of the business. So how did you sort of take these these people and, and bring them into the brand in an official capacity? I, I think that it's we've seen it. It's been kind of hard for brands to figure out this new piece of marketing because it can be a little bit unpredictable. It can be all over the place. So how did you how did you fit it into your strategy and and what what have the results been like? Yes, it's been really exciting. It, it really all started very authentically and organically. So we, um, you know, it started with just you know with influencers who we were not paying and um, you know who just genuinely love the brand and we became friends with them. A, a phrase we use often is you know if someone is a friend of the brand. And we were so fortunate to have some, you know, fantastic women with great Instagram followings, you know, who became very natural friends of the brand early. Mm-hmm. Then we did, of course, realize that there could be more science and strategy behind it and turn it into one of our true, you know, advertising media vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, you know, again, one step at a time. I would say that's one of our mantras that we use. We um, just in the the past handful of years have started uh, finding, you know, the influencers who do genuinely love the brand and mm-hmm. are into it. And we take their onboarding very seriously. We uh, have a wonderful team as part of our marketing department who, I think it's a really fun job, um, but their job is to take influencers to some of our great, uh, you know, more iconic locations, whether it's Palm Beach or Nantucket, where we have store locations, and there are some really fun things to do, and we'll give them a great brand onboarding, and some of the, you know, the posting just happens like wildfire. It kind of, kind of goes beyond what we'd even anticipated. Mm-hmm. So that has been a really fun, but also very natural and organic right. thing. So do you have like a group of influencers that you work with on a regular basis uh, that you consider like onboarded and part of the brand marketing strategy? We do. I, I, I think we are... I don't know that there's anyone who's been on, you know, four seasons in a row or anything. Um, But we do have a handful of of really great friends of the brand. Mm -hmm. And how do you, what's been most effective in in bringing in new customers? Uh, Because I'm sure it's something you're thinking about all the time, especially with such, um, like, a a distinct heritage brand. Yes. Like, 
it's only gotten more crowded in the in mm-hmm. the fashion and consumer space. So how do you cut through the noise, know who to target, who to go after, and and bring those people into the brand? Great question. It is something we focus on. I think our best moments have been. Uh, times when we are doing something that really does delight our loyal customer mm-hmm. and you know she really gets this great buzz going about it and you know, that ends up bringing new customers new people into the brand so three examples I'll share from really the past year we have an after party sale it's kind of fun when we've everyone's had a great summer and you know we've all gotten through the labor day kind of you know back to school back to work rhythms we put on our once you know really once a, a season sale and uh, that is that happens both in our stores it happens online and it's really fun for our most loyal customers but they definitely always bring a friend and mm-hmm. it's been so fun to see you know Instagram again you watch people tagging their friends we have to go we have to go visit this store then we have to go visit that store and then we're gonna you know we're going to wait online at this certain time so that is definitely a big moment that gets great buzz again it starts out with delighting our loyal customer but it is the kind of thing that has become a big party and you know again a little bit of a blend of digital environment physical environment mm-hmm. kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. We also, I would mention two collaborations that we did in the past year. Those have been, you know, great at just getting our brand name out to people who might not have known about us before. So we did a wonderful collaboration with Pottery Barn earlier in the year. What we found from that was, you know, similar to many things, we really delighted our loyal Lily customer. Our current customer was so excited to see print on some of our home furnishings or some of you know the home furnishings in the collection. And uh, they were so excited about that that they were lining up at various Pottery Barn stores the morning it launched. Mm-hmm. There's something about that when someone walks by and says, you know, what's going on? At, what's, what's all about what's happening over there at Pottery Barn? Um, that is one of our most effective ways to bring people into the brand. Yeah. Anytime there's a lineup, we see it outside of the sneaker stores. We yes. see it outside of a right. Pulitzer collaboration. <laughs> exactly. People want, people want to get their hands on that. So, so as you're as you're navigating like the next the next phase, and looking back on the last on the last decade or so since you've been at the business, what do you think is most crucial when it comes to driving the strategy? Just to just to keep in mind and in, in terms of where retail is headed, because you have so much more to think about. It seems you have mm-hmm. so much customer data coming in. You have to you have this faster cadence. You have mobile commerce versus online commerce versus in store and then wholesale. How do you sort of prioritize this, this entire web um, of as the the system keeps changing. It's a great question. We really, I believe, we all need to keep focused on the customer. And again, that extra lens of not just you know doing what she wants, but we are paying attention all the time. How is she shopping, and how is she dressing, mm-hmm. and how is that changing? So we actually have a pretty uh, consistent, a little bit of systematic approach to reviewing changes in how the customer is shopping and how she's dressing. Those are our two key questions because I really believe that. The you know those are the changes that will affect us the most. Uh, the you know the technology that that is the packaging around it that's enabling these other you know methods of communication that will keep changing. But I think we see that um, in order you know to prioritize uh, what we should focus on, it's where is it changing, how she's shopping, and how she's dressing. So those are really the two questions that mm-hmm. we focus on pretty frequently. Do you think it's it's harder to be a successful player in retail today? I don't know if it's harder. I, I, it is definitely you have to keep your eye on a lot of different things, mm-hmm. and I think a, a broader range of things, you know, now than you used to. I think, 
you know, if I go way back to when I started in the business, I think there was, um, you know, some real magic to to being the merchant who could guess the next trend. I think that was probably very difficult. Yeah. You know, I never was that person. Um, but I think that, you know, must have been very difficult. And I have great respect for those who built, you know, tremendous businesses being able to do that without any data. I think mm-hmm. there was a lot of, you know, extra work involved in um, you know, finding the qualitative data when you didn't have the quantitative to marry it up with. I think, you know, today the the challenges are really, you know, I, I definitely encourage people to, you know, don't get into this business unless you really love it and you're really passionate about some element of it because mm-hmm. you do have to keep your eye on a lot of different balls and I think still make time for that you know, just being in stores, walking, you know, the market and, you know, being again digitally where where the customer is so that you can really know what she's thinking about. Right. And and about the, the sh- shopping patterns, you said, you know, you're always watching how customers are shopping as you've seen this this total flip in the business and, and how it's structured. How does that do you find that people are shopping on their phones more often? Are they buying, you know, in stores after they've put in the cart? Like, how do you sort of make sense of that, of that customer journey? And and how is that, like, are you opening more stores? How do you, how does that play in your investment? Yes. I think, you know, the biggest thing is we're uh, watching how, I find it very fascinating how it's changing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, women who have already shopped online, probably on mobile, will then go into our store to see if the dress that they bought online to see if it fits. And, you know, they have no interest in buying it. They've already bought it, Mm. but they, you know, couldn't go into the store yesterday, but they could go in today. And they just want to know when it gets here, you know, the next day, is it going to fit? And that's an experience that we, you know, did not plan for. And, you know, just a really, but a really clever, interesting, you know, creative way that customers are shopping. So we are trying to just, you know, catalog those and know what they are and then think about how we can delight them. Um, you know, in terms of that. Mm-hmm. And as you know, we're looking looking ahead at the next five years, you mentioned there's there's customer behavior that you couldn't have predicted. What do you think is going to be the next? It, ha- it might not be really here yet. People might not be shopping. But if you were to be forced to play, place a bet on one piece of, of retail and how customers shop um, in, in whether that's influenced by technology or social media, where would you where are you starting to just sort of see if that's becoming worth investing in. I'm really excited about this, you know, convergence between digital and physical. Uh-huh. So the example of, you know, a woman who has already bought online popping into a store to to just try it on after the fact, even before it gets to her house. The example of communities being built online and in digital forums who then they want to meet each other. So that's probably the one um, you know, macro trend that I'm most excited about mm-hmm. among, you know, things that, that technology will allow us to do. I think our ability to um, you know, to make recommendations to personalize, that is very exciting. I think we're just on the beginning cusp of that. Um, and I think that the way that data gets to business managers will just, you know, get more simple and synthesized over time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that is something that we see right now. It's just hard to keep your arms around all of the data. So mm-hmm. once that gets easier, we will be able to do more with it. Mm-hmm. So those are probably two. That's great. And, and yeah, just to wrap up, speaking to that idea of bringing the digital element into stores. What what does the store network look like since it's mostly been built over the last, what, like 10, 15 mm-hmm. years? Yes. Like you didn't have a big store network to update. And exactly. so basically been able to build stores in this evolving image, or but still a, a pretty modern way of mm-hmm. of how people shop. And so what what do you think is the, the b- biggest strength of the stores that you well, have? Absolutely. it's it, We're really proud of how modern the, the store is 
fleet, if you will, how, how modern that is. Mm-hmm. We also, because we you know took everything sort of one step at a time, we uh, really have details in each of our stores that are custom to the local market, and they've each gotten better. Every store incorporates learning from the last one. I'm most excited about a store we are uh, just in the final stages of building. It is our flagship. It's on Worth Avenue in Palm Beach. It will be open in just a few weeks, and it is going to be a pretty special combination of some of the most modern abilities you know for us in terms of retail mm-hmm. as well as a wonderful look back at our heritage mm-hmm. given that it is in such an iconic location for us yeah what's your what's your favorite part about that store so it is really it's going to be that uh, a customer can come in and design their own custom shift so oh, wow. we'll have fabric that's only available there and uh, it'll be you know, a customer will be able to choose which a general fit they want to go with. They'll be able to pick their lace details. And I think, you know, having a lily shift, especially one of the, the more traditional styles, is is often such a special occasion for a customer. We love when we see someone come in and they get their first one. It's just a very exciting kind of emotional moment for them. So for you know, I hope that people will make the trip, go to Palm Beach, visit Worth Avenue, and go in and have this experience of that really harkens back to such an artisan time in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um you know that 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 we used to that we came from. Um, so our ability to bring that to you know 2018, 19, and beyond is really exciting for me. Great, all about the experience. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michelle. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Hillary. And thank you for listening. On November 8th, be sure to tune in to our first ever episode of the Glossy Beauty Podcast, hosted by our beauty editor Priya Rao, with guest Miranda Kerr. The Glossy Podcast will be back next week with another episode. A special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. If you've been enjoying the Glossy podcast and aren't a Glossy Plus subscriber yet, it's time to consider joining to get access to all of Glossy's content, member events, ticket discounts, Slack chats, and more. As a reward for listening, use the code podcast at glossy.co slash plus to get 20% off an annual subscription. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.